Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The story of Noah is one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible. Most hear about the story of Noah and the flood when they're children. We know the stories about the animals two by two. We, we know about the ark and Noah's family. We, we know about the rain and the 40 days and the 40 nights. And we know, we know about the rainbow. But while it may be one of the most well-known stories in Scripture, in many ways, it's one of the most under-examined. It has more power for transformation than we could possibly think. It is teeming with layer upon layer of image and symbol and, and themes that really speak to where you and I are right here and right now. Take, for example, just the, the, the motive of the flood. If someone were to ask, what's the cause of the flood? The unexamined mind will be, well, the, the earth was corrupt, and so therefore it was, it was so bad, and people had gotten so bad that God was just really angry and decided to destroy everything. <laughs> well, that's not really what this story is all about. I want us to take a closer look to see what actually is happening in this story that is more of a, a rescue story than a story of destruction. Check out what we hear in chapter 6 of Genesis. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. This is a powerful verse because in this verse, there is this, well, act number two of God coming to the edge of all God has created. Because you remember in the first chapters of the book of Genesis, at the end of the first chapter, he comes to the edge of all creation and at the end gives this summary of a job well done. He looks over all creation and says, it is very good. A powerful and divine affirmation of all that had been created. But here in chapter 6, God once again steps to the edge and looks over all that he has created and his assessment has changed. In fact, there are two really powerful words that are used in this text. The first one is nacham. In Hebrew, the word nacham means deep regret, repentance, and even a change of mind. Deep regret and a change of mind. 
It's not easy for you and I to think about repentance referring to God, but listen, don't get worked up about that. In our Western theology, you and I have, most of us, have, have come through the faith in the Western tradition, which is we have a hard time thinking about God changing, right? We believe in this first century uh, doctrine of immutability in some ways, right? We, we talk about God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and God is. There is nothing about the character of God, the essence of God, that ever changes. It's the one sure thing. But the Hebrew mind didn't get so worked up about using those words about God. And nacham means a change of mind, a, a repentance of a former opinion God had. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, the word nakam is used uh, 30 times to refer to a deep kind of regret that someone has. And out of the 30 times that it's used, 24 of those times, it's referring to God being sorry that God had made humankind. At least that's what the context of this nakam is about, being sorry about the decision, sorry, a change of mind in what he thought about humans. But there's another word that's used there in the same text. The word is atzav. Atzav is a word that means grieved. It's the kind of grief that's used to describe in other places in the Hebrew Bible um, a woman who goes through childbirth. And you think with the word atzav about images of screaming and wincing and gut-wrenching pain and anguish. So the word grieved here that's used about God, grieving that God had made humankind, was an anguished pain. You know, what's interesting to me is you and I so easily think of a God who is so full of judgment and anger that God would destroy the world. And yet in this text... We get an image of a God being presented as someone different, one whose heart is breaking. When God sees what has become of God's good garden, it does more than simply incite God's wrath. It breaks God's heart. What kind of God do you believe in? I mean, do you primarily believe in a God who is angry with you because of your sin? Someone who is waiting to just, you know, dole out, uh, dole out punishment because of your mistakes and your wrongdoing? Because in this particular story, we're presented with a God who is not simply angry at the way things have become, but one whose heart has broken. You know, it really matters the kind of God you believe in when everything falls apart. Because you'll see in this story, it's the God with the broken heart that has the capacity to put it all back together again. But first, because of his grieved heart, because he was Nacham and Atzav, because he was grieved, because he was sorry that everything had become the way it had become, he decided to blot everything clean. And he starts all over. He begins what we're going to refer to as the uncreation of the world. Listen to this verse. 
in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were open. The rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. This is a powerful verse or two because we get an image of a reversal that is taking place. In in chapter one, you may remember In the creation narratives we see at the very beginning, at the very beginning of the very beginning, there is watery chaos and the Spirit, the Ruach of God, hovers across the waters and begins to separate the waters above from the waters below. And he puts what the ancient Hebrew poet describes as a a dome in the sky to separate the waters above from the firmament keeping the waters below at bay. And in this space in between, God creates something beautiful. Existence, life, bounty, love, colors and animals and things that crawled and slithered and flew and and swam and humans. And yet, because of the corruption of all of it, there has now been a breach in the boundaries that had kept chaos at bay. And now, because of the breach, this text said well the fountains of the deep burst forth and and the windows of heaven opened and there was a collapsing of this division and and water comes down and water goes up and it goes everywhere and this flood is not simply from rain but it is a well the word is deluge a deluge means a complete overcoming a swelling of water on all sides, a storm that hits you from every single angle. You know about that if you've seen Forrest Gump, right? I know you're thinking about Forrest Gump, right? He's like a little bit of stinging rain, big old fat rain, rain that came in sideways, and, and sometimes rain just seemed to come up from the ground, right? There's this, this, this image of water everywhere, a deluge, and this is exactly what real storms feel like. It's it's not just that they come from one direction. It's not just that she she was diagnosed, right? She's also having to manage the anxieties of her children who don't understand the diagnosis and the fears of her parents who, who don't want this thing to happen and also the fears and anxieties of her husband. And, and, and it's not just that, but it happened at COVID. And COVID comes and now routine doctor's visits mean that the kids can't wait in the waiting room and, and the husband's clients have left and his, his income is, is smaller. And you see what I'm saying? There's this, there's this flood on every angle. And at times, that's where the real storms threaten to undo us, to make us fall apart. Do you know what it's like to be in a deluge? Well, in this story, the storm continues. The verse picks up, the flood continued 40 days on the earth and waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters swelled, increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the waters. The waters swelled so mightily on the earth. Does it, do you know what that feels like for it to just swell? The problems, the anxieties, the fears. that It swells upon the earth and all the mountains, the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The water swelled above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. 
birds, domestic animals, wild animals, all swarming creatures that swarmed on the earth, and all human beings, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters swelled on the earth for 150 days. What you're seeing in this powerful passage is what we're calling the the uncreation story. It is a complete reversal, really, of of everything that had been put in place in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. And and if we pay close attention to it, it's, it's undoing itself in reverse order. Check out the order of things here. In chapter one, God creates and introduces birds, then creeping things, then animals and humans. But then in chapter seven, that order is reminding the reader of the way things were put in place, and then there is a reversal, almost like you're running the tape backward. Then there was the blotting out of humans and animals and creeping things and birds. It's as if God was saying, I have so changed my mind that I am undoing what I did. I'm uncreating what had been created, and maybe the most tragic, the most painful, um, sad, heartbreaking verse of the whole thing is that everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life was blotted out. Reminiscent of that moment in chapter 2 where God leans over and breathes nostril to nostril into the first human, the breath of life, the life of God into the mortal. And it amazes me, really. How as sophisticated as you and I can be, as accomplished and successful and capable and creative, as powerful as we can become as a species, how soon we forget that the one who gave us life can take it away. The one who gave us our first breath has the right and the ability and, by the way, the track record of taking it back. It is an undoing of creation. In many ways, does it feel like we at times are suspended where we are, but other times are going backward? Does it feel like this season in which we had found ourselves is a season of uncreation, of reversal, where things that have been built up are kind of falling around, whether around us or Or maybe even in us. The text says that the waters continue to swell for 150 days. 150 days. You Typically, you and I talk about this story as 40 days and 40 nights, but that's when the rain fell. But the swell of the water remained 150 days. Incidentally, can I just remind you of something? This coming Wednesday... You and I will have been apart for 150 days. This Wednesday, it would be 150 days since you and I worshiped together 
at JCBC. And I, just, I want you to just let that sink in for a minute on the one hand, and on the other hand, I just want you to feel the impact of how long that is. And, and, and Noah, is, is there adrift in this kind of uh, nothingness, this adrift of, of in, in the undoing of everything that ever mattered or meant anything to him? You know what that means. That makes, that makes Noah our brother, and it makes this story perfect for where we are right now in this quarantine. 150 days ago, 150 days, we've been at this just like Noah. Now I know right now all of my Enneagram fives out there, you're probably pausing the broadcast to go check and see if it's really been 150 days. So go ahead and when you come back, you'll see that I'm telling the truth. And Noah, our brother, is saying to us, there's something to be learned in the 150 days. There's something to be learned because in many ways, in every literal way, Noah was adrift. He was adrift in the unknown. Do you know what it's like to be adrift in the unknown? I mean, business leaders and business owners know exactly what I'm talking about. The client base has changed. The income is different. Now there may be another stimulus. Has there, is there any more help with perhaps some unemployment? Those are kind of running out and there's some, there's some anxiety because you feel adrift in the unknown of how this is going to end. Teachers these days are going back this week and the following week in different ways. Some will teach online, some will teach online and in person, which means that many of our teachers, our faculties, our administrators are working twice as hard, and guess what? Not just for the same pay, but in some cases for less budget to work with. And students are adrift in the unknown as well. Will we be able to play the sports that we wanted to play and, and achieve the performances and, and accomplish all the things that we want for my freshman year, my senior year, this big... You, and these are, just, these are just conversations we're having in my home. What about yours? Do you know what it feels like to be adrift in the unknown? Well, Noah is there floating 150 days and he knows what it feels like to feel like is this thing ever really going to end because it's not just 150 days i did a little math and i want you to just kind of feel with noah in solidarity what it feels like right now because it's not just that the water remained 150 days but the text if you continue reading in genesis 6 7 8 and 9 you find out that 74 days later is when the tops of the mountains began to emerge, which meant that the total number of days thus far is 224. Now keep track with me here. Then another 40 days passed and Noah opens the windows, bringing the total number of waiting days to 264. Then 21 days there was a period of a 21-day period of reconnaissance, let's just call it that, where birds were sent out to see how the floods had abated, that leading leaving them with 285 days of total float time. 29 days later, Noah removes the top of the ark. That means 314 total days. Then, 56 days later, Noah comes out of the ark, making it a total of 370 or 371. There's a little discrepancy there in the text. 370 or 371 total days of float. So in summary, the total event from start to finish is 371. Total days of water swelling, 150. Total days of water receding, 221. What is your point, Sean? My point is this. It took longer for the waters to recede 
than for the waters to swell. Yeah, it always does. With the biggest storms of our lives, that's, that's how it always is. When we really hit a real storm, a real period in which we feel like we are adrift in the unknown, some storms have the impact of hitting us so hard that the storm may be over, but the impact of living with the storm continues on and on and on. So the divorce may be final and the family may have broken up. The papers are all in order and everything is settled, and yet you know that every Christmas and every birthday... In every big event, there will be the remnant of the storm, a reminder of the flood, which, which means that there is something to be said for thinking about what you do in the flood and how you float adrift in the unknown. Why does it take so long? Because sometimes it takes a little time sometimes to recreate the world. That's what this story is all about, remember. It's about a recreation, a rescue story, right? So the floods brought about a situation that, that made the earth need time to dry out. And while the earth needed a lot of time to dry out, maybe it wasn't just the earth that needed some time to be prepared for its new reality. Maybe Noah did too. So Noah is adrift in the, in the flood, in the ark there. And maybe there is something that has to happen in him before he's ready to step out on the new earth. That's the way it always is. Maybe he had to somehow let go of everything that he was holding on so tightly to in the old world because that world, by the way, is like 50 leagues under the sea. That world is gone, by the way, both for him and in many ways, for us. And the reason it endures both in the ark and in our current context is because maybe God is trying to do something not in the earth that will be different after this, but in us. So that when it's time to disembark and move into a post-flood, post-deluge, post-liminal, post-COVID world, maybe we are actually ready to be the new creations that Christ died to make us. Yeah. Do you know what it means to, to be recreated? See, I think this is where the birds come in. Now, there are birds in this story, you know, two by two of everything. Well, in the ark, there are these birds, and there's a moment in the, the abating of the flood where Noah opens the window, and while he's waiting, while he is transforming in mind and heart and intention, he, he lets these, these two birds out. And he, the text tells us that he releases a raven and a dove. A raven and a dove. And the birds are sent out on this reconnaissance mission to see what is out there. But it's powerful to think about the reality that the raven and the dove both symbolize something powerful about us. The raven is an unclean bird. It's a scavenger. It eats dead things. So in the Hebrew mind, the raven is an unclean bird. And in the text where we read about the raven, 
It says that Noah released this raven and it goes and, and it goes to and fro is the phrase in Hebrew, uh, around to see where, where life was and it never returned, presumably in the Hebrew imagination because, well, the raven presumably may have found the carcasses of those who had died and found and was willing to eat the dead. See, the unclean eat the dead. And, and yet, you know that phrase, to and fro, it's also used in another place in Hebrew Scripture. It's used in the book of Job. In the book of Job, the, the Hasatan, the Satan, goes to and fro around the earth seeking who he may accuse. Yeah. It's significant that in the ark there was the raven that represented the unclean, the dead, the, the carcass-eating scavenger. But yet there was also the dove. And Noah sent a dove to do a recon mission, and the dove came back at first. Doves always know the way home. The dove, see, symbolizes that which is holy and pure and good and divine. The dove is the spirit, right? And the, the, the dove goes out and comes back. So a second recon mission, he sends the dove out, and it comes back, this time with an olive branch in its beak. Interesting, right? An olive branch, it, it represents peace. But he brings it back before the storm is over, before the flood is gone. He brings back an olive branch of peace. Isn't it interesting that the Hebrew poet, this writer, is telling us you can have peace even in the midst of the storm. And he sends the dove out again, and this time the dove never comes back, which means presumably it found life and food, and it, it moves on into its new creation. And yet it's, it's compelling to me that both of the birds were on the ark, that there was both raven and dove in the ark, and it's because there is raven and dove in you and me. Both in the ark and in every human heart, there is both raven and and dove because it represents the two parts of how we're made. It represents our two, our dual nature, really. Our true, authentic self that God intended when God thought we were a good idea and our false self. The version of us that is a distortion of everything good and holy and right. And every day you and I have to decide which, which one will be our flight, the dove or the raven. Which one will do our recon mission for us? Who is going to read and interpret our life and the mysteries of this flooded world? Will it be the dove in us that sees the light and seeks peace? And, or will it be the raven that is concerned with only the decay and the negativity of death and destruction and hatred? See, the Bible is filled with those dyads, really, dyads that describe our inner nature. There's dove and wild beast. Sheep and goat, light and darkness, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean, holy and profane, good tree, bad tree, salt water, fresh water, wheat, tares. It goes on and on. And all these dyads throughout Scripture are this magnificent way that the Holy Scriptures describe you and me. That there is both in us, sheep and goat, wheat and tare, raven and dove. And maybe the point of this entire story as it comes to us today is which bird will do the recon for you? 
What do you do during a quarantine when you're prone to want to interpret life and all that is ahead through the eyes of the raven? But you know there may be a holier, truer, more Christ-like way to approach all these changes and threats to our well-being. And you want to see through the dove, but you sometimes are prone to simply see your neighbor and yourself and the events of this world through the raven. Well, maybe this is what you do. You take a lesson from Brother Noah, and you open the window of your soul, and from that interior arc, maybe you release both and you say to God I confess to you that flood or not ark or not both of these birds are in me and I recognize during this long period of time that maybe I have ignored the fact that there is raven in me too but this COVID, have you seen the raven in yourself? I mean, I know I have. Have you had moments where you've been frustrated and impatient and exhausted and just, you, when is this going to end? Have you come to grips with both the dove and the raven in you? Maybe your prayer today is to release both and say, God, show me where there is life. And until you draw me out of this period of time, this liminal space, this being adrift in the unknown, this flood, this deluge, until you draw me out, I will confess that I am prone to either. So transform me that I may live my truest, most authentic pursuit of you. Yeah. See, I love what St. Augustine said. His prayer was, I, I know that my heart is restless, O oh God. It's restless until it finds its rest in you. Well, so the story of Noah doesn't end there. Remember, this is a creation, a recreation story. So we're told that the wind or the breath or the ruach of God blows over the waters and then in powerful, absolutely gorgeous language we hear an echo of the first creation stories right here at the end of the flood story because the wind blew the waters of this chaos away and the mountains began to emerge. In other words, dry ground began to be separated from wet ground, blue things from green things. And then there's this, there's this opening of the ark, this opening of this brand new Eden in which Birds and animals and creeping, crawling things and human beings emerge to populate the earth. It is a recreation of that which had been uncreated, but it took the flood for it to be born. Is it possible that today you're listening to the things I'm saying and, and maybe, maybe for the first time today you're seeing this amazing story in Scripture as, as your story? And recognizing that maybe the current flood, whatever it is, whether it's the one that we're all sharing now or a private secret flood, a deluge that has stormed your life, maybe you're realizing that right now it's not a, it's not a story of your destruction, but perhaps this is a story of rescue from your destruction. And maybe you pray like this, God, I confess to you that I am adrift in the unknown. I admit to you I am no longer in control of my life I confess to you 
that in me, floating here adrift, is both true and false, good and bad, wheat and tare, raven and dove, but I give both to you. And I pray that if you can do something with me, then change my heart, change my mind, transform the way that I interpret life and then when I emerge from this whenever that's going to be then I will be remade recreated in your image as you intended from the very beginning that's my prayer God that's all I've got so take me beloved if you pray that kind of prayer or maybe even if you just whispered it just now in your own heart it counts. Jesus Christ said, all who are weary and heavy laden, you may come unto me, find rest, put down your burdens before me, and I will I'll give you peace. This is his promise always to come. If you have done that today, I want to know about it. I want you to email me and let me know the, the kind of prayers that you're praying these days. Tell me what God is doing in your heart so we can celebrate with you and then come alongside you to be a part of this amazing rescue mission that we call the love of Christ. But wherever it is that you go from this place, from right now, from this moment, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that, that dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But most of all, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his.